I sit down and say, what's your vision? Who you want to be in 15 years or in 10 years? Once that is established, how can you work without a vision? For crying out loud, wherever you are right now, we know why you are there because you made the decision to go there. If that wouldn't have been your destination, you wouldn't be there. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger for optimising business performance. Scaling up organisations, corporate culture, customer addiction, building high-performing teams, along with a few other obsessions. I've spent the last several years working for and with some of the most successful top-performing companies in the world. And this podcast is my attempt to synthesise what I've learnt along the way, to help you build a higher quality business and live a more fulfilling life. If you enjoy the podcast, you can find more information on today's episode. We do cracking show notes. They're at dominicmonkhouse.com. Hello. Today, I'm talking to a legend. I am talking to Horst Schulze. And if you don't know Horst, then you don't know anything about the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group. Uh, Horst was the co-founder and then CEO of Ritz-Carlton built from the beginning with a big, hairy, audacious goal to be the best luxury hotel group in the world. Uh, He's also the inspiration behind, I guess, their famous service mantra, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. And we chat today about some of the things that, the tactical things, one of the things that I was fascinated by when I read his book, Excellence Wins, is that as a CEO or COO, he absolutely understands the detail. And when we chat, I understand why. Because when Ritz-Carlton were opening a hotel, he did the opening. So he went down and he hired the staff and he trained the staff and he oversaw the opening of the hotel. And there's an attention to detail in there that is fascinating. And also some of the things that around, you know, taking time to do a daily huddle. Anyway, we have a fantastic conversation and i Thoroughly enjoy talking to him. The audio isn't quite as good as it has been recently because we had to use Zoom. We had we had a technical difficulty with the the tool we normally use. Um, so forgive me on the audio, but I think the quality of the conversation is exceptional. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Horst Schulze. I'm a hotelier. I live in the United States. There's two particular companies that I created in the hotel business. One is the Ritz Carlton Hotel Company. They were others part of creating it, of course. And the other one is Capella Hotel Company, which is not well known, particularly in US or Europe. We have a number of hotels in Asia, but it's an ultra luxury hotel company. Even though it's not known, most of your, you and your listeners have seen one. And that is when Trump was meeting Kim, he met in the Capella Hotel in Singapore. Aha. Uh-huh. It's an ultra-luxury hotel company. I would call Ritz-Carlton Luxury. And we created, after Ritz-Carlton, I created another company, which is called Capella. I'm- and I sold that company. It's not my company. I am, today, I am retired. Let's make it clear. I do consulting. I make speeches. Um, I do podcasts, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. But the the uh, the business model for the Capella Group, you run some hotels, but also you run some on behalf of other people. The same thing, I mean, like, on behalf of other people. 
most company, most hotel companies, incidentally, you see the name Marriott, Hyatt, and so on. It's usually the hotels are not owned by that company. They're owned by individual or organizations. And those companies are management companies, just like Ritz Carlton was a management company and Capella Hotels is a management company. Ah, I see. So very much like a lot of the franchisee holders of things like Starbucks or... or yeah, uh... no, 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 that's different. Franchise is different. Okay. Franchise is the owner runs it. In this case, we run it. You're the owner of a hotel and you, you want to put, put money in a hotel, but you ask us to manage it. Ah, okay. Period. And you pay us a fee for managing it and putting our name on it. Ah, so okay. we, run, we run the hotel with, and, and we demand no interference from you. We <sighs> run it and deliver profit or losses to you. Aha. So I'm the owner and I take the risk and you're the management that's, company. That's correct. And you take, you take a fee. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so you've been a hotelier all your life? All my life. I started in hotel business when I was 14 years old. That is, I'm a very narrow person. That's all I know. <laughs> but, you know, lately, managing, working with many companies, I realized that's all I need to know because it's all the same. Business is the same everywhere. What is it? What is business? Over here, customers. Over here, are employees. You have to make sure the employee knows the customer wants and delivers to the customer what the customer wants, and later you count the money. That's where people go wrong. They constantly count money instead of counting, instead of managing the stuff that creates money. Managing the things that create value for the customers. That creates, inconsequently, money. And so I've got a random question for you, which is sometimes I'm thinking about uh, salespeople and paying commission. And I wonder what you think about tips in hotels. Do tips drive better behavior? It's supposed to, but it really doesn't. It's taken for granted. So today it is a given. It doesn't. What creates the right behavior is, to, is leadership. Leadership creates the right behavior in an organization. And that's it. I belong to several boards. And in fact, I just came from a board meeting two weeks ago, not, yet, not justice, et cetera. But the whole discussion was cash flow, this. And that. What is cash flow? Cash flow is our customer. They bring the cash. It's not all those, those manipulations, but everybody is thinking about money and this, and nobody concentrates on the very thing that creates the money. And what creates the money is excellence, of product and services to the customer. That creates the money. I understand fully, but, but for crying out loud, is there one board meeting ever that we talk really about what does the customer want and what does our employee want? Oh, oh, the CEO writes a book and said, our most important assets are our employees. And I'm five years on the board. I never heard him talk about employees. <laughs> never. They're, they're just there, no different than the computers there to fulfill a function. What do you expect? And then, then they talk about alignment and empowerment. Then they, have, they, have no, they don't even know what alignment is. So in, I mean, if you, I don't know, if you take someone like a Marriott, right, yeah. where maybe the brand is the same and you take 
well, even if you just imagine two exact Marriott hotels in exactly the same location with the same staff, and you put a great general manager in and an average general manager, what what will what but, do you reckon? The f- uh, let, let's rephrase it. In one of them, you put a manager, and in the other one, you put a leader. Ah, okay. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. So what the what's manager, the difference in performance? The difference in performance over years would be dramatic, absolutely dramatic. In the beginning, the managers, they do, it's not that they don't work. And some of them create good results. But they're only concentrating on what the bottom line brings today. That's it. That is it. And they wait for their promotion to move out to another place. The leader says, looks at what does the customer really want from us? Look, let me explain this here. What, did, what is it really? The leader says, okay, what do the customers really want from us? Once they understand a picture on the left of your side, all kind of people, those are the customer, the guest, the potential guest. And on the right of you, there are all kind of people too. Those are your employees. Once I know what the customer wants, the manager makes sure that the employees understand what the customer wants. Then the manager creates processes, systems, and controls and make sure that the employee gives the customer what the customer wants. The leader makes sure the employee wants to do that. <laughs> you see, he doesn't control, doesn't have to control. And obviously, the employee who wants to do a great job will do a better job than the employee that's just controlled. After a while, the customer will notice it and becomes loyal to your business. The manager will not create loyalty. You'll create great processes there. That is, oh, processes, sure. Now, now, I'm not dismissing processes. The leader has to be a manager too. But the leader makes sure the leader has a destination in mind. It Im- leadership implies going somewhere. The leadership has a vision, meaning purpose. And that purpose is excellent. It's excellent for all concerned. For example, in Ritz-Carlton, our purpose was to become the finest hotel company in the world. When I first said that, we had no hotel, people laughed at me. <laughs> but, but that was the purpose. But after I developed that thought, I said, is this good for all concerned? Is it good for the investors if I'm the best? Well, sure. Is it good for the customers? Sure. Is it good for every employee? Is it good for society? Yes. In that moment, I know what to do. In that moment, I cannot compromise anymore what I'm doing because it's, I'm, I am doing something that is good for all concerned. I'm taking them to a purpose. And you know what? I believe the greatest gift I can give an employee is not just a job and a good income, but giving them purpose. Aristotle said already nearly 3,000 years ago, people can only be happy and fulfilled in life if they have purpose and belonging. By the way, the Bible said people will perish without purpose. So why wouldn't I give my employees purpose? Here's where we want to go. And here's why. And here's how you will benefit from that. We want to be the best in the world. Join me for that purpose, not for work. Function is just... Function, the chair in which I'm sitting is fulfilling a function. I'm hiring human beings 
for purpose. Now, if I do that, then the embryo wants to fulfill the function right in order to accomplish a purpose which he or she knows is of great value to them. You have to show them, but that's leadership. Now, 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 look, we, we, as you said, we won the Baldishard Award. The Baldishard Award is won because you have the best processes. Of course, you have to have good processes too. But if people don't work the process, or if people want to work the process properly, you have a better company. Well, you see that with even making automotives, you know, uh, Toyota and Honda and Japanese firms where anyone can stop the line. And it's a completely different paradigm to getting a car to the end and then checking to make sure people have built it properly. You know, yeah, it's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely. That. That, that's the process management and the empowerment. This is all processes, even that empowerment. I don't know having run hotel in Japan and I don't know if they're really to be very honest if they're really emotionally connected to it right and, and, and because that heart and that emotion belongs also into leadership so you take this impassioned view about this is a purpose we're on a desk we're on a journey there's a destination yeah. come and join me and some people join and some people don't and it's definitely easier to build up from scratch with that at the beginning. What happens if you have to take that mindset and apply it to a business that already exists and a culture that's already there? Well, I have taken over hotels, existing hotels, okay? I want to argue with you that, I'm, as you know, I built a company from no hotels. I opened the first hotel in 1984. I left when we had 55 in 14 continents. And there wasn't a hotel that I opened that didn't become the leader in its market segment within two years. So there must be something real to this <laughs> philosophy. And, and it's not, it has nothing to do with the different cultures where you work. It is the culture of the organization, which you can transfer. You can transfer by teaching. By number one, you select people. So you have less people who don't want to do it. You don't hire people. People hire people. You don't hire people. You select people too, but the profile that is needed in your organization. I had outside companies help that. And, and, and I tried to do it myself, but I couldn't. I had somebody help me. So you select people. And then you orient people to your organization when they come to work. What happens when, when you start a new job? Look, all your people who listen to that, who started a new job in the last 20 years will remember. You started in and the new boss says, we are a team here. Yeah, you're a team. Wow. Wow. And then he says, now let's establish what a team. A team is a group of people who have a common objective and help each other do what that objective. But no, he doesn't give them the objective or the vision. He says, next, he says, work with Bill over here. He knows the ropes. You don't make ropes, but somehow Bill knows ropes. And we turn the employee, new employee over to Bill. And Bill, on the way to the kitchen or on the way to the workshop, says, this company is not good. That's his <laughs> orientation. That's orientation. So what, what was in the mind of that manager? All he wants to do is bring that person in and immediately teach him or her his function. And that's why we hired them in the first place. We didn't hire them to take part of our company and be a, a 
a human part of our company, we hire them to fulfill a function. Is that really moral? Instead of hiring them, bringing them in, selecting them to be part of a dream. A dream that if accomplished would be good for everybody. You see, you will have very, very few people who will not join that. And those who don't join, the others will eliminate. Yes. What do you, do you believe every company in the world can be run like this? Absolutely. Unequivocally. I'm working with, with several companies, totally different companies. I work with a, with a, with a small bank which have ad- has adopted 100% the philosophy, 100%. I would bet that in 15 years, they're a leader, leading financial institution in America. I worked for a while with a, with a health group, doctor's group. They're becoming the leader already in America. It, it's the same. My goodness, we're dealing with human beings. Adam Smith, you should know him. He's one of your compatriots, there, you know. He wrote a good book, by the way. Wealth of Nations. He, but he wrote another one where he started the human being. And he came to the conclusion 300 years ago, huh? 300 years. And he said, human beings cannot relate to orders and direction. And what do we do? We give orders and direction. He said, human beings can only relate to objective, vision, purpose, and motive. So, when I know that my human beings cannot relate to my orders, they may fulfill those orders because they have to, they cannot relate to it. You see, again, that's management giving them that. And we, we know that, for, as I said, Aristotle said that people can only be fulfilled by having purpose and belonging. And as Smith said, now we know it for a thousand years or three, at least 300 years, why don't we do it? Well, we also learned another management style during the Industrial Revolution. That was Taylorism or Fordism, Ford taught it too. We think you do. You don't have the right to think here. You just fulfill a little function and I think for you. How immoral. Come on. And trying to do this today with, with educated, smart employees is ridiculous. Well, and it seems to me that you're, well, the thing is, though, in the hotel business, you know, that most of your staff are not, you know, Harvard MBAs. You're not dealing with the same workforce that you have at Google, but you're creating an environment where people can, you know, what autonomy, mastery and purpose, uh, Dan Pink said in his book, Drive, and you're allowing people to fulfill all three at work. But yeah, well, look, the truth is I hire center city kids who have never seen anything elegant or, or worked and work, even worked some of them. And they have to turn them around and a few days later, they take care of the chairman of the board of the Bank of England. I have to be able to do that. I have to see how I'm going to do that. What is that interaction with them? How do I make sure I teach that interaction right? How, that's all they have to select, they have to orient, they have to teach. Teach, 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 teach. And so one of the things in the book that you talk about is the daily huddle and referring back to the 24 behaviors or is it behaviors you call it? Or sometimes clients say to me, Dom, daily huddle, I can't, I really, we've got time for that. What would you, what would you say to them? (laughs) How could you, because you don't do it, that's why you don't have any time. (laughs) This is, 
unbelievable to me. And that's what those uh, the companies I work with have adopted successfully. I sit down and say, what's your vision? Who you want to be in 15 years or in 10 years? Once that is established, how can you work without a vision? For crying out loud, wherever you are right now, we know why you are there, because you made the decision to go there. If that wouldn't have been your destination, you wouldn't be there. Simple. <laughs> I mean, it's simple. But why wouldn't that be true with a company or with an individual? You lead yourself as an individual. So we said, okay, where you want to be? The next thing I have to say as a company, what do I have to do to get there? to that point where I want to be, like with everything else. So we have determined those 20 points, if I'm going to do those 24 things superior to the competition, I will be the leading hotel company in the world, in each case. And then create measurements wherever. So since those 24 things are so important, because they will make me the leader in my business in the world, which I did. So I'm now willing to take every day 10 minutes out and teach one of those points. Today it may be point 12. Very simple point, one of the simplest. If somebody asks for direction, don't point, take them there. Now, we teach that today again. Now the teaching is that, that on the way there, mention our restaurant. Say, by the way, we have a great Italian restaurant in the hotel. Converse, create a relationship on the way to where they want to go. Now, that's an important point. In 24 days, you have to listen to it again. Now, people said, wow, we know it now. Well, yeah, but do you live it? And I always came back to them and said, do you know what Coca-Cola is? Well, yeah then why do you think they still spend billions of advertising? Because they know they have to keep it front of mind. So why as an organization would you not take the 20 points that will make it superior to the competition for the value of all concerned? Why wouldn't you repeat and repeat and repeat and teach and teach and teach it? That's all. So simple. It's very simple. The other thing I was struck by which we were just chatting about before we were recording, is that here's a book written by, by a CEO who's built two amazing businesses and worked in senior positions in some others. And here you are talking about training the frontline staff. And I think there are a lot of CEOs who have no idea what their staff onboarding process looks like or what happens in the front lines every day. Yeah, you see, what do you really want? Let me just define what is a great business. A great business, number one, is concerned about the loyalty of the customer. Number one. Yeah. So you work everything fine. Number two, you're concerned finding a new customer. Number three, you try and get as much money from the customer as possible. Ah, without losing them. Loyalty is number one. And number four, you work on efficiencies. Now, each one of them would take a long podcast, anyone. Stay with number one. How do I create a new customer? What creates customer loyalty? What creates customer loyalty? You see, there are three types of customers. The dissatisfied customer who will be a terrorist against your company. They yeah, no, matter, no, no matter what you do. No matter what you do. They go on the internet, they go on the social network, and they talk bad about you. Then there is a satisfied customer that goes to your competition when, if they offer a, a deal somehow. 
And then there is the loyal customer. There's yours. What is loyalty? Loyalty is nothing more but trust into your product. Who creates that trust? Nothing more than relationship. That relationship is not created by the CEO who sits in some kind of an office and talks about money. That relationship is created by the front line who actually faces the customer. And if that relationship, in that moment, that's why we teach that it's not, for instance, our front desk or, or any employee in the hotel, your number one objective as an employee is to convince the guests to want to come back because of your service and caring that you show them. If you would walk into any Capella Hotel, walk in the kitchen, the furthest corner, and ask the guy that works there, what's your objective here? He will answer, I'm here to convince the guests to want to come back by what I'm doing. So you want to convince them and create that loyalty. That's not done by a CEO or by some guys that sit in a in boardroom. It's not. So I have to know the front desk. That's why I went, I told you, 55 Ritz Garden, everyone was a leader in this market segment. I don't care where. Well, I opened every one of them. I was there to teach, welcome the employee, the first one, only when it opened, not the later employees. Every one of them, oriented them, tell them what my heart and soul is. Join me. Don't work here. Be part of something. You're a human being. You're not a chair that works. You're a human proud. being. Be proud. And then, of course, stay connected and stay aligned with them. With them. And then I was part of teaching. I, I role-played with them how to say hello to guests. But I also studied how to do that. I didn't just make up my mind because I know. I went to behavioral analyst, worked with universities and said, what does it do? How do I create trust in me, which is loyalty. Ah, okay. So you've got that sort of mastery thing going on as well, going out and saying, how do I get, it's not that you think I've been in hotels for, since I was 14, I know everything. No, no, no. In fact, it's I've been in hotels since I was 14 and I know what I don't know. It's all process. And if you don't understand the process, if you don't understand the expectation of the customer, you will never be able to create the process. Impossible. In fact, you may create a wrong process. You have to understand in every, in the behavior, in the mood, and everything what the customer wants. And then create processes behind it. And so on. Then you, then you measure the processes and you, you can't fail. It's not possible to fail. It's not that I run two companies. And mind you, my 50 Ritz Carlton's and later, they were owned by different people. I run different businesses in different countries with the same philosophy. Uh-huh. Well, one of the things, one of the things at Rackspace that we picked up from you and your team at Ritz-Carlton was your sort of, is it $2,000 that each employee could spend, yeah, yeah. discretionary yeah, spend yeah, to yeah. fix a problem for a client? <laughs> yeah. You know, imagine here years ago, as many, that's 25 years ago, went to my vice president and said, hey, I want to empower my employees. Now think about that. I want to empower my employees in a very meaningful way. I know I don't want to lose a customer. In fact, I feel so strong about it that every employee should make a decision up to $2,000 if there's a problem to keep the customer. That was as if I just exploded a nuclear bomb. And every, every owner 
owners calling me. I'm going to sue you. You want bus boys to give 2000 What is this? No, I want bus boys, if there is an incident, to have the right to do everything they can to keep that customer. Mind you. But what I did know is that the potential value of one of our guests, knowing the average age, knowing all that, knowing the average spending, the potential lifelong spending by a single guest in Ritz Carlton could be $200,000. I don't want to lose a guest like that. And I want to tell my employees, I trust you. You are here to move heaven and earth. You are part of this company. I trust you to do everything you can for this customer. But I leave it up to you, to your discretion, to your thinking, to your decision-making. And only one employee ever spent that money indirectly in all the years. The rest may have bought, sent some cookies to the room, sent them some, sorry, just imagine yourself, your hotel guest, and I explained it in the book, your hotel guest, you come down to, for breakfast in the morning and the busboy says, good morning, sir. I hope you had a nice day. And you said, no, I didn't. My TV didn't work. And the busboy says, please forgive me. I feel so bad. I will buy you breakfast. Instead of being dissatisfied, instead of being a terrorist, you become an ambassador for the company right there. And that's what I want to do. And that was the reason for that decision. So, you know, I remember I stayed in... uh, (laughs) I stayed in a hotel in Cologne and I checked out and, and the, the woman behind the front desk said, was everything all right with your stay? And I said, no, the air conditioning was so loud. I had to turn it off and the windows don't open. So I had a terrible night's sleep because it was so hot. And she just went, oh, yeah, no, the air conditioning in that room is loud, isn't it? What? <laughs> they took my credit card and you, you just go, okay, so nobody here cares. But, but, but what did we do? I mean, here I say something as if it was just, oh, matter of no. We went ahead and certified every employee on problem resolution. Every employee was certified. Everybody was taught how to do that and how to handle it. To say, forgive me. You don't care. You don't care who it is. You want to get rid of. We know that practically 96% of all complaints, all the customer wants is get rid of their frustration. Say to somebody. If then that somebody doesn't say, I take it, then you still have it. In fact, it goes up. <laughs> so when that boss boy says, please forgive me. I'm so sorry about my TV. And I, I feel so bad. I'm going to buy breakfast. You will be so shocked. You will tell people about it. And that was my intent, not to give $2,000. But I want to tell him, if necessary, go up to $2,000. Well, we, what we did at Rackspace is we said we would pay two times whatever the customer's monthly, monthly fee was. And the finance people nearly had a cardiac arrest <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. because every, immediately people think they're going to start giving money away. But actually, they gave less money away yeah. because they actually yeah. took pride in solving the problem. And yeah. because, because, as you say, you get, you're, you're, you're in there in that interaction with the customer and the customer's frustration comes down. The moment you say, oh, I've got to go and take this to my manager, it goes up and the manager, the manager doesn't know it, has never spoken to the customer, isn't going to ever speak to the customer and yeah. often gives away too much money. Exactly, so exactly. Just you know, fascinating. And, and, and besides that, if I, if I 
if I really say that my, my employees are important are part, I can do that if my employees feel that they're part of the company. Now I can empower them. But if they feel that they're only there to fulfill a function for which they were hired and how they were treated in the first place, then I cannot expect them to do it. It's no. not possible. That's why leadership is a very powerful thing. But leadership starts with a destination. You can leading implies that you have a destination in mind. That's implied. But leaders, tell your leaders, once you determine your destination, you must agonize and say, is this good for everybody? Once you know it's good for everybody, you know all the decisions to make. You know not to compromise. You know everything. But it's not a soft thing. It's a hard thing, isn't it? I mean, you, yeah. know, you, you said earlier, you know, you'll want some people to get on the team. And if you put together a good team and, and they're sold on the purpose, if there's somebody in the team who isn't, the team will push them out. Exactly. Exactly. We did something I, which I failed to finish, but I tested in two hotels, self-directed work teams. Okay. In one hotel, we took front desk, bellman, doorman, the whole lobby team, and took management out and said, you manage the, the department, you, the employees. Of course, you have to teach them because what the manager does, somebody has to keep on doing. They have to do Well, we were extremely successful in our pilot hotel. But I had a general manager who wasn't driven by ego. He was driven by results and there was a leader he cared. Managers don't let that happen because their ego is involved. But that self-directed work team was the only team in the whole organization that had zero complaints in its lifetime huh. over a year. Zero. But, but one problem, they became too tough with each other. Okay. They became too tough. When somebody came late, they immediately wanted to fire them. We had to say, whoa, 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 don't. No, don't. So you, you see, their own expectations are very high if you allow it to manifest itself. Yeah. I, but it's, I, tr I tried. I would have eventually tried to put a tree in the, in the organization, but it was very difficult because of the egos of managers, I believe. I'm not sure. I failed to put it into the organization. It's, well, it takes, uh, I think you're right, it takes a certain type of leader at the top of the organization, doesn't it, to, to yeah. make that happen. Yeah. Even for them to, be, to get their heads around wanting to do it and why you would do it and why is it a good thing. Yeah, and, and of course, I have to admit it, when we did it, I was scared to death. I said, what's going to happen there? You know, and it, it took me months to say, yeah, it's working. Well, one of the other, one of the other uh, anecdotes you tell in the book is where one of your managers is telling you about their occupancy rate. And I think there's been some natural disaster or whatever. And so, you know, yeah. it, it's down 50% or something. And you say, what about the competitors? And he said, oh, no, it's 50% there as well. And so you, you said something like, well, so yeah. you, you well, could It actually happened. I, it actually happened. We, uh, very, we had projected, and I was very well, very much involved in the, in the, in the, in the budgeting for the year. We projected for January 68% occupancy. We were around 55%. So I called me, what happened? Oh, my Boston, ice, snow, storms. I, I didn't call for the weather report. I called about, he said, why, that's why. You see, that's typical managers. Managers 
like to move immediately to explanation and excuses. Or they don't make an excuse, it's an explanation. But I didn't hire anybody to explain what's wrong. I hired people for solutions. So after, after a while I said, well, what about the Copley Plaza, our competitor? Well, they were very slow too. Aha, that implies they had some rooms occupied. So you're telling me, they arrived on the airport and said, wait a minute, Boston, ice, snow, storm. That means I'm not going to the Ritz-Carlton. That's ludicrous. That's ludicrous. So I want to have, find a solution so that doesn't happen to us anymore next month or next January. I want to know, you are, the leaders, ministers are there to find solutions. Not, but believe me, I looked at it very careful. There are very few leaders. In my analysis, now mind you, that's not scientific, it's mine. And I ran a, group, ran a group of 65 general managers at one time. I found that there are five leaders and the rest are managers. Huh. And the managers constantly look for excuses. To me, the model of management is having a vision, being committed to the vision, apply the steps that gets you to the vision, and keep focus on. The manager in the focus element focuses constantly on explaining things away. The leader keeps on looking, how do I get to this destination, to this vision? No in, matter in any, what, in, no in matter what event. the circumstance in any event right now, even during Corona, it doesn't matter. Look at coronavirus right now. I mean, I'm talking to people that I work with, other companies, no hotel companies. I don't consult with hotel companies, only other companies. I called them and said, what do you have to do right now? And when I talked with some of them, I realized they changed their vision because there is a problem. Well, the vision doesn't change and the values don't change. The priorities change. The priority now should be, in fact, very selfish. The company must survive. That should be priority because without it, nobody has anything. Number two, I want to make sure that right now, when I come out of it, my customers, if they were here, not like me even more than they liked me before. So what can I do about that? Number three, how do I make sure I still have my top 30% of my employees? How that I don't lose them? And the bottom 30, maybe I should get rid of right now. Ah, oh, wait a minute. You are here to save the company. That may be what you have to do. So your priorities have changed. Simple as that. But not your values and your vision. They don't change as a leader. Yes, indeed. What, what's, do, you, what, do you have a definition of culture? Culture? Yeah. yeah. The, the, the general belief in the organization is the culture of the organization. The general belief, what the company as a whole and everybody company believes in, is the culture of the company eventually. That's what they do, what they believe in. You believe in being excellent, you believe, and, and so on, or, or what does a company believe in? That is the culture. The culture of believing in excellence altogether. And talk about excellence wins, the, my book. Well, what is excellence? Right there again. Excellence is never an, an accident. It's always the result of high intentions. And if I have high intention, again, it comes always back to vision or purpose. High intention. You know, even your individual destination, it's not an accident. It's clearly your decisions is create your destiny. 
It's not yes. different in, in, in a, at work. It's your, it's your decisions, high intention, high intention, high, high thinking. What, where do I want to be? Not in the little, and I, I talked to an institution recently, and I said, don't you want to be the very best in the country? He said, well, that would be arrogant. With other words, you don't intend for your investors, for your employee to be the very best. Yeah. What kind of you a could, leader are you? You could be the best Italian restaurant in your street, but at least yeah. you have to have some sense exactly. of, of excellence. Have some of, pride. Have some pride. That's right. And have some destination. Okay. Some, um, what is it that you know now that might have served you well or been good to know at some point in the past? You, you enticed me to say that. I, I know I, should, I, I shouldn't have my first marriage. <laughs> you did that to me. <laughs> I see. Well, well, you know, we, we all know when we look back, we see the moments that we should have captured, the moment that we miscaptured. That's why it is so important to go through life and keep your eyes open, open and say, what is this moment? How do I capture this moment? Carpe diem. Capture the moments of your life. I didn't many times. I just floated as a young man sometimes until I woke up and said, wait a minute, uh, you, you can't do that. I wrote an essay when I was 16 about being excellent, being ladies and gentlemen, defining yourself. But then I forgot it again. So to go through life and understand ongoing I'm defining myself. What do, how do I, what do I want to define myself as and for what? To understand that, to be conscious about it and have a good time at the same time, of course. Have a great time. And I missed many moments of that. I was just working or just working to work. And my maitre d', my first maitre d', when I was 14, spent a lot of time with me saying, don't work, don't just work, create excellence. It went over my head for years. I started to understand it. A few years later, he had passed on in the meantime. I went, waited for hope for an, a promotion working in, in San Francisco in the Hilton. And I knew I would get a promotion I knew, because I knew I was the best waiter. And my manager was German, so I thought, hey, we're gone. <laughs> it's done. But I didn't get it. Another guy got it. And then I thought back about it. And it took me about three months to admit he deserved it more when my ego and everything was hurt. And once I realized that, I went back to my little room at the time in the worst district in San Francisco. And I talked to my maitre d'. As I said, he had passed on. But I talked to him. And I said, I'm sorry. I went to work to work. What kind of a fool was I? I didn't go to work to create excellence, which you taught me. I apologize. I will never happen again. And what a silly thing to waste your time to just fulfill function like a chair. Why do I sentence myself to be less than a high-thinking human being, high intention? From there on, it was high intention. And my career accelerated. It exploded. Mind you, I come from... I'm not a high school dropout. I'm an elementary school dropout. <laughs> now, no. I kept on studying in between, but, but I have no right, but it's all the intent of creating excellence, the commitment to it, the focus on it, 
and they go on and I, and I have a career and uh, vote, was voted number one, number one hotelier in the world and so on. I, I mean, that's arguably who is, there's no, you know, I'm not arguing that I was, but I was voted number time. Here is this kid from a small village in Germany. It's having been working with great people like that Maitre D and other great people and knowing that moment and capturing the moment and learning and applying and going on and concentrating constantly on high intent on what I'm doing. And once I woke up in San Francisco, I made a decision, was a high intent every day. Today, I question myself tonight if I did a good job. Remember that all through the day. And then even I question myself, did I do a great job? Could I have done better? And I never was able to say, no, I couldn't have done better. Never. Because we always can do better. But if you don't keep questioning, you never get to excellence. That's right. Because it's not, it's not a destination, it's a journey. Well, we always think we should challenge others. We also should challenge ourselves. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And you said you carried on learning along the way. What, have you read any books that you think other people should pick up well, and read? A- yeah, I, I, read, I actually read a lot. And I, what I enjoy reading immensely, studying, is all the philosophers. Way back to, if that is Plato or Socrates or... or or Neue, or Kant, or Weigel, or Kierkegaard, or whatever, or Nietzsche, why do I do that? I'm fascinating that they were able to think totally different than their society did at that time. It's, it's unbelievable how they were just able to think different than the rest of society. I try to always understand, and I probably never will, but in business, there are three books I can recommend, two books besides Excellent Wins. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent Wins. Of course, I recommend it. And, but uh, at the same time, Peter Drucker is truly one of the great thinkers, business institutional thinkers of the last century. And Stephen Covey, those two guys together would be the best thinking in the last century, organizational thing in the last century. I, I really think so. And I, I think everybody should read it and let it sink in and pull out the simplicity of it. There's so much simplicity to it. And that's what I try to do. Many people tell in my book, oh, it's common sense. I don't think it's that sophisticated to be better than anything else because common sense nobody has now. So uh, it seems. Yeah, but it's common sense. But so are their books. If you really look through the stuff that they write, it's common sense, beautiful common sense. Fantastic. I've got one other question which I've got in my mind from something you said earlier when you were saying you had this group of general managers and maybe you had five leaders. So are leaders born or are no. they made? Can you turn a manager into a leader? Oh, yeah, I, I, I really think so. I mean, you have to help them because we have society has turned them into managers. I think that, that everybody is a leader, except society takes the leadership away and t- says, you shouldn't be. You should force people to do. Have you controlled it? Have you, and managers, they become managers. They become insecure making decisions because society or the organization creates that insecurity. So they, they make decisions that are not risk-taking. They make decisions and then they respond to the expectation 
of being controlling, dogmatic, and so on. And then they're good managers. Forceful, make it today, never mind what is tomorrow. Make sure that the, that the next report of Wall Street in three, three months is good. Never mind what happens 10 years because of it. So consequently, they manage. And I would have, for example, never hired the guy that was in his company, manager of the year. They come to me and they apply. They're saying, I want to be general manager. I was manager of the year in X company. We never hired them. <laughs> never. Why, why did they become manager of the year? Because they squeezed their hotel. They heard it for the future, but they made a short-term term profit. And the analyst in the corporate office said, bravo. He took the flowers away from the table and said, good cost management. He, he, he stopped the piano from playing and they said, good cost management. And he destroyed that brand. And he became manager of the year as an, the example for the company. Ah. <laughs> sad, sad, sad. Host, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't get together, but it was a pleasure, I tell you. All right. <laughs> Thank there you go. very much indeed. Thank you very God much. God bless indeed. you. All the best to you. God bless you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. As a token of your appreciation, it would be fantastic if you could go wherever you're listening and leave me a review. Those reviews really help other people find this podcast. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to dominicmonkhouse.com forward slash podcast, and there you'll find some fantastic show notes, additional reading and links relating to this episode. You can also find my blog and the past editions of my subjectively not crap newsletter. The simplest thing to do on the website is to sign up and I'll update you each week on the most interesting articles that I've read on all things relating to scaling up high-performing teams, net promoter score, company culture, etc. For social, you can find me on Twitter, Dom Monkhouse, and LinkedIn at Dominic Monkhouse, although LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me. Share your questions and comments and, and perhaps even recommend a guest for a future edition of the Melting Pot podcast. Thanks for listening.